Welcome to the Four Seasons of Vacation Rental Investing Podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Krista Goodrich, aka The Boss Lady Investor. And I'm here along with my business partner, best friend, co-host, and fellow Boss Lady Investor, Kim Nguyen. We're going to help you guys navigate the vacation rental investment world. I have decades of real estate investing experience, while Kim is newer to the game, but we're both here to help you fall in love with vacation rental investing, whether you're a spring chicken newbie or a seasoned investor in the winter of your life. We'll teach you how to make your vacation rental investing experience as great as a cold beer on a summer day, because we both agree that nothing is more fun than traveling the world, meeting new people, creating beautiful spaces and experiences, and of course, making a ton of money along the way. We're two best friends and investment partners that are here to show you it's never too late or too early to make now the best and most profitable time of your life. All right, everyone. Today we have Chad Hensel from Rentline, which is a luxury vacation home management company based in both North and South Carolina. So Chad's been doing this for several years with his family and has learned some great ways to systematize your business, to break into the luxury space, and to really give your guests and your owners a fantastic vacation rental experience. So let's hear what he has to say. Chad, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in vacation rentals. Uh, sure. Well, thank you for having me on, Chris uh, and Kim. It's a, it was a pleasure meeting you uh, last week at the or two weeks ago now at the IMN conference. Um, Likewise. I, yeah, I guess I kind of got into it uh, semi backwards, uh, like a lot of people do in our industry. Um, I was actually in hospitality for about fifteen years, and then got into real estate. Uh, and then at a certain point, I wanted to make a, a pivot. And kind of realized, hey, there's this whole other world of vacation rentals uh, that are kind of the crossroads of those two things. Uh, and so I kind of reached out to a company in Charlotte. Uh, they brought me on board. And I was like, okay, hey, this could be really easy. Uh, and then I got in and actually realized just how much work it is. Uh, but there was so much more reward uh, that from that point, I started to uh, kind of transition my uh, long-term rentals into short-term rentals. And I've been just kind of running ever since. Awesome. And how how was that transition for you? Did you have roadblocks along the way with zoning or with neighbors being upset? Or what were the challenges that you found when you were doing that transition? Luckily, all the properties that we had purchased were not uh, in any kind of areas that had HOA regulations or you know, city or county regulations. Uh, so the transition was fairly smooth. Uh, just as you know, the leases ended, we simply uh, started converting those over. Yeah, of course, we did run into the occasional uh, neighbor that would be upset and you know, we we would work with them. You know, they always had our number anyway. Uh, and then you know, we kind of followed the old adage of you know, good fences make good neighbors. You know, so we built privacy fences, and you know, we took care of all the little things that uh, really seemed to upset everyone. And we've had a, a good run ever since. That's actually a great point with the privacy fences. I think sometimes people overlook the benefit of just having a fence, so that if your guests are outside enjoying, you're in North Carolina, correct? Uh, our property is in North Carolina and South Carolina. In South Carolina. Okay. So you probably have fire pits 
um, and some of your locations, or even if you don't, if they're just sitting outside enjoying the outdoor weather, if there's no fence, then they're in the neighbor's backyard, basically, as far as the neighbor's concerned, right? So uh, that's actually yeah. a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, like some of our properties have pools and others are like, you know, on the lake. So having that extra little bit of privacy, uh, really makes a big difference. And, uh, yeah, cause it doesn't feel like you're just yeah, kind of out in the middle of everyone's backyard. Uh, it's exactly the point. Yeah. It protects the guests too, because sometimes in vacation rental, not everyone loves vacation rentals as we've all learned over the time, right? Although they should, not everyone does. So we've got people in our areas that will stand outside. And if you didn't have a privacy fence might kind of give you the, evil eye or make you feel uncomfortable. So I think that's actually a very excellent recommendation for listeners to know that if you're considering a vacation rental, consider that in your budget because it will really help both with your guest experience as well as keeping neighbors happy. So I'm actually super glad you brought that up because no one ever has. So that being said, what did you find were your biggest costs in the difference in long-term and short-term rentals? Oh boy, that's a pretty long list. Um, I think the, the biggest ones, obviously, with, you know, just regular furnishings uh, and everything like that. Uh, you know, the first couple that we had set up, we we had not purchased commercial-grade furniture. Uh, and we very quickly found out that uh, residence-grade furniture really only lasts, a, you know, three to six months in a, a vacation rental. Uh, it's get so much for heavier use. Uh, so that was basically just a, a complete waste of, of cost there or money there. Um, and then kind of really from there, yeah, it's a, it's a lot more maintenance on the properties. We We knew it would be higher, but we didn't quite expect it to be at the, the level that it is. Um, and then as we really kind of started transitioning several properties, uh, we realized that I could not be the one, you know, maintaining all the yards and, and all the flower beds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so there were some surprises on that end, uh, but they came out of the, the good side of uh, just being too busy and having you know, too many good things going on. Uh, but those, those do incur some costs that uh, you don't always plan on on the front end. Those are some great points. So I want to touch on two of those main points. One is maintenance cost and the surprising expensiveness. That's not really a word, I don't think, but of maintenance cost in that sometimes investors don't realize when you buy a vacation rental in a long term, if the AC stops working and we're in Florida, so we have to act very quickly, but let's say it's mid fall and the AC stops working. If you can't get someone out there for a day or two, it's not the end of the world on the long term, as long as you're a good landlord and get it fixed for the tenant in a reasonable time. With a guest, that's different. What happens if a guest has an AC go out or hot water go out in one of your units? What's your what's the turnaround time that you found is most acceptable for all guests? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, they all have varying uh, amounts, but yeah, everything is an emergency, um, <laughs> essentially. Uh, so we try to take a, a proactive approach in that and make sure that, you know, all of our ACs are being serviced, uh, you know, the, the hot water tank is being serviced. Uh, so we try to catch as much on the, of uh, that stuff, you know, going wrong before it happens. Uh, and then kind of from there, you know, when a guest, you know, messages us, you know, we, we try to walk through just a couple of quick, you know, troubleshooting steps like, Hey, did the breaker flip? Uh, if that doesn't do it, then yeah, we, we get someone out on site to verify the problem. Uh, uh like I have one out last week was a great example. Uh, guest messaged in. It was like 10:30 at night. Uh, they were very upset that the bathroom sink wouldn't drain. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of odd. Um, okay, you know, so kind of talked through them a couple of things. Could get it figured out. Uh, you know, I was on the verge of calling the plumber. I'm like, wait, let me go look at this first. So I go out there, and the uh, plunger was down. That that was it. <laughs> so uh, if, if I hadn't uh, taken that little step, yeah, it would have cost me a couple hundred bucks, or you know, to get a plumber out in the middle of the night just to push a plunger down. Yeah, and that 
that's the other thing I was going to lead to is there's that transitionary period. So same, I used to have a handful of rentals, manage them ourselves or as much as we could ourselves. And it saved a ton of money to do that when you, when we could run over and, and check on if something wasn't draining or whatnot. As we grew, not only personally, but then as a business, it can't, we can't, you know, clone ourselves. And so there's a lot of times now where you have to send someone to do the weed spraying and someone to do the yard maintenance. Once you get beyond a certain number of properties, it's just, it's not viable. But then, you know, exactly like you, Kim and I still do the exact same thing. We own our own properties nearby. And even for our our owners that we manage for, if a guest calls and it's something silly, if we can run over and fix it, we're just going to do it. Because otherwise you're right, you're going to get a service call charge and it's going to be more expensive. But for owners that don't live in state and have to have a manager, sometimes it's just not an option. You've got to call someone in to fix it. And even if you have a manager, if, if they don't have someone at 1030 at night that can fix it, you have to call someone. So those are certainly costs that I think people should be aware of. So there's definitely added costs, but not to scare everyone away from vacation rental investing because we all do it. So clearly there is some reward to this. What have you seen as the return of vacation rental investing as compared to a long-term? Uh, well, in my main market, uh, which is Greenville, South Carolina, um, I would say I'm generally netting about 3x what I was on the, the long-term market before I started converting those. Um, you know, With all the rising you know, rent prices and everything else, even after factoring all that in, like it's still at least two and a half times what we were getting in the long-term market. So it's been a it's been a financial game changer for for my family. Yeah, and are your units are they? Can you describe the type of location they're in? So in Florida, we're obviously near the beach, and then we've got a house in the mountains and some other places too. But what locations are you in, and do you find that there's a huge difference in return if it's in a more premium location versus? A less premium location, or do you have either? Uh, sure, uh, we actually uh, just last year picked up uh, our first two uh, lake houses, uh, but the rest of our portfolio uh, is just regular single-family homes, uh, kind of you know, ten fifteen minutes outside the the Greenville City uh, downtown area, um, and so like we're very very much kind of a traditional suburb uh, set up there. Uh, so I can speak at length about that. Uh, but then we would look at the the lake houses. Uh, they're kind of really just starting to get to that for the end of the first year. And yeah, those premiums, uh, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. The dollar returns significantly higher. The expectation significantly higher too, I'm assuming, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Would, do you think you would advise someone if they're just getting into the game to look at premium and luxury, or would you suggest they start on a smaller scale with a less premium property, maybe to get, um, their toes in the water a little and see all the nuances that they're going to need to learn? Or do you think, hey, if you're going to go for it, might as well go big or go home because you are certainly likely to make more money on the premium properties. What would your advice be to a newbie? Oh, I love that question. Uh, th- because the, the reality is it, you can work it both ways and you can really kind of tailor it to your personality type or whoever that new person's uh, com- coming in personality type is and you know look what their appetite for risk is. Because yeah, you can absolutely start small uh, and, and build up you know, a unit here, unit there, unit here, unit there. And even if you're just being opportunistic and you can build up a very nice portfolio in just a couple of years. Uh, or if you're the type of person that says, nope, I I love the high-end stuff. When I travel, that's what I want to do. I would never own a property that I wouldn't want to stay in. And that model works too. Uh, and so you can really work it just about any different way that you want. And 
as long as you're you're hitting all the basics and making sure you're you're matching your guest expectations, you're going to win. Right, right. What do you think your guests, or not? What do you think you're going to know the answer? What are your guests asking for at your rentals? What amenities? What things to have on site? Do you find that you consistently get asked? We get asked for pools. We get asked for beach access. We get asked if you have beach chairs because people don't want to travel with them. Are there things that you're consistently finding that guests are asking you for? Uh, yeah, you, you can never have too many pools or hot tubs. Uh, somehow, yeah. somehow there, there, there's never enough of those. Uh, and so, yeah, like for our, our suburban houses that don't have pools, we're kind of looking at ways other. Okay, if we can't fit one in for whatever reason, like, okay, can we do kind of a classy, like above ground pool? Like, you know, there's a big TikTok trend like a year or two ago with all the like cowboy pools. Okay, can you know, where can we fit those in? Um, yeah, for the lake houses, uh, obviously you know, we get a lot of just you know boat access, lake access. You know, do we have kayaks on site? Um, and we try to also fill out all of our properties with a pretty good amount of uh, games and, and family entertainment options. Uh, we, we feature those as much as we can on our listings to kind of really show people that hey, it's okay to come down here and you know bring the whole family. You're gonna have a good time. Right. Do you is your area seasonal? Not very much. Uh, the Greenville markets, it's, it's very stable the whole way through. Uh, we, we don't get too big of an up and down, uh, regardless of the season. Uh, the lake houses, that, that's pretty different. Um, obviously, kind of spring through fall is big there. You know, winter is pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have a lot of curiosities about lake houses because, again, we know we, know we are seasonal. Um, but our season is very long. It's, it's everything except September and October. And that's because that's our main hurricane season where we live. So for us, it's it's always been a question of okay, are people in colder states? Are when when are you, when are your bookings? When do you have more bookings, less bookings? And does it matter on a lake? Is it super heavy in the summer but still good in the fall and spring, or is it you're making all your money in the summer only? Uh, no, it, it, it's very strong in the summer. Um, you know, several of the properties that we manage. Uh, they're actually already fully booked for the summer. Like you can't get in between you know May and August already. Uh, nice. But yeah, no, we we still have very strong spring summers. Um, you know the the lake houses that we have they're larger. They're you know five six bedrooms plus. Uh, and so you know those tend to be booked for groups, families, that kind of thing. And so a lot of times then it's kind of based around school schedules. Uh, so you can definitely see spikes in our uh, activity when, when school is out. Yeah, I think I think that's true for vacation rentals across the board. Once school's out, you certainly should have higher occupancy. I can't think of a place where that wouldn't be the case. And so if you have somewhere that you're not getting high occupancy during school breaks, you may want to check your pricing or advertising, right? Because that's that's all of our bread and butter. If you had been starting off and could tell yourself a few things now that you didn't know then, what would you tell yourself to be better prepared for this space? Uh, let's see. The, uh, the first thing I would say is start sooner. Um, even though I've been doing this since 2018, it feels like I kind of missed a few years where we could have uh, really kind of captured that market, you know, back in those halcyon days uh, when you could just put anything on Airbnb and, you know, make a million dollars. But yeah, kind of uh, really from the operations side or just kind of the setup side. Uh, yeah, I would, I would have invested in higher quality furniture from the start. Uh, the stuff that we did buy, like I said, you know, it was residential grade stuff. It looked great. The photos looked amazing. Uh, but then, you know, first time you have two or three kids jumping on at the same time, you know, the legs would fall off. Um, so that, that was kind of a painful lesson. Um, and then, yeah, really from there, it's it's focusing on the basics. You know, we, we don't do anything 
super outside of uh, kind of what anyone would expect, but we, the things we do, we do very well. And so we try to make sure that we're concentrating and, and hitting all those basic points. And uh, I would say, yeah, you know, start that early, you know, make your checklist, make it all systematic. Uh, cause, you know, especially as those first couple of years when you're just learning so much, listening to all these great podcasts, seeing, you know, YouTubers and all this other stuff. There's so much information, but when you really get down to it, it's still the same 10 steps you're doing, you know, for each setup, it's, you know, still the same uh, customer service steps you're going through, like really nail that down early. That, that would have been a, a really big help. Said I wasn't trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel with each guest and trying to customize it too much for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lesson I learned too. my, the very first property, all I could afford was what I put in it. And so it was not that cute and the furniture was not that great. And now when we set up a unit, it's beautiful. And so we try to, and I'm hoping that some of our owners, you know who you are if you're listening. Um, (laughs) So some of our owners, we try to tell them, we're like, listen, we know it's a little more money to get the unit really, really cute and to have good quality furniture in there, but it's going to last longer and you're going to book more. So do you have any units that you think are, or have been in the past and maybe they're not anymore, but where the decor or the quality of the items in the house weren't where they should be or where you'd want them to be now? We certainly do. And we're constantly improving and we're constantly refreshing even units that have really good stuff after a couple of years things get beat up, I guess, you know, so it's a constant refreshing, constant renewing so that those bright, pretty pictures that they saw when they booked, if they get there and everything's several years old and not freshened up and maintained well, they're going to be quite disappointed. So do you have any struggles with, you know, units that you need to freshen up or running or, you know, just convincing yourself or others to do that from the get go and getting it set up super cute and super well done? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, some of the units that I own and some that I I manage. Uh, did they have personal furniture that's just kind of uh, made its way over there? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. as I've upgraded my house, there's no way around that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> as guilty as anyone else. Uh, yep. But yeah, and when we're especially when we're after that kind of first couple of units, when we really started to kind of realize the wear and tear uh, of vacation renters versus uh, long-term renters, and uh, yeah, kind of learning to yeah, go ahead and spend the extra money, get the commercial-grade furniture. But the the other end was to you know, just go ahead and, and treat it like it's anything else. Like just treat it as a business expense and to really run it as a business, you know, go ahead and yes, go ahead and expect that. Yeah. Over the next five years, you know, talk to your accountant. They'll say, yes, you can depreciate all this stuff. You can write it all off. Here's the schedule for it. And just like uh, the hotels do, you know, they have like a, a five or seven year refresh in their contracts that they do all the time to exactly your point is to keep everything looking fresh, looking great. Um, you know, and so that when someone does show up, it looks the same. Um, yeah. For, for a while, I, I worked at the Olive Garden, and one of the p- things people don't realize there is like how how it always looks great when you go there. It's because they they repaint all the restaurants every two years, so they don't even have a chance for it to really kind of build up all that wear and tear, all those little scuffs. Like you know, by the time anyone notices it, notices it, it's already being painted over. And so treat right. your treat your 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 properties like that. Treat your business uh, the, the way that it should be, and keep it fresh. Because yeah, once you start getting those negative reviews, it goes downhill quickly. It does. And so Kim sends out our owner reports and Kim, you can speak to this. She got, she sent out some owner reports just this, this yesterday, actually, not even just this month. And she had replaced, and if he's listening, he's going to kill me, but he'll get over it. Um, so she had replaced a broom and a um, dustpan. Uh, mop. Yeah, dustpan. <laughs> thank you. 
She hadn't replaced it. The cleaning crew had replaced it. She just billed him for it. And he's been with us two years and he freaked out on her. And she called me and she said, and he's, he's a really cool owner. So he, I know he just had a moment and I'm sure he'll get past it, but freaked out. And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm getting nickel and dime. So she pulled his whole history. And in two years, we've never charged him. We ate all of our linens for a year. We're not doing that anymore. We did. We did. We ate all of our linens the first year we were in business. Yeah. That adds up. Yeah. Oh, that adds up quick. We have 150 properties. And so it adds up real quick. So we obviously had to make that change and let them know, Hey, we're not, and we're not that we, we never even told our owners that we were eating the linens. We just started replacing them as they went. We were so busy. We didn't have time to even worry about it. And then when we realized at the end of the year, how much we spent, we, we found out that we do in fact have time to charge the owners because it's not our job to replace their linens. Right. I mean, it's our job to replace them, but not to pay for them. So anyway, the point is, she charged the owner for the mop and the broom and the dustpan and he freaked out on her. And she's, she called me and I said, Kim, they have got to understand that these things have to be replaced. If you go into a unit and brooms, if they're not treated well, or if they're used a lot or time, this place is on the ocean that eats things, then the brooms start to look yuck. And if the guest walks in and sees a yuck looking broom, even though it's the broom, they're going to think there's other things that aren't taken care of as well. And so Kim, do you want to speak about what that was like and what you would want owners of vacation rentals to know about replacing items and maintaining the properties and not, you know, getting so upset when I refresh pillows all the time because I want a fluffy pillow when I check in, if it's a flat pillow, I don't want to sleep there. Yeah. I I think what it is, is um, owners just don't realize that you know, the amount of, uh, at the end of the day, it's a rental. So there's a certain amount of wear and tear to pillows. I mean, pillows get flattened. Um, They need to be replaced like at least every six months, if not every quarter. And so, um, you know, when they see a charge for eight pillows, because one bed might have eight pillows, um, then, and, you know, they're, they just want to know, well, why are you replacing the pillows? I, I just bought those pillows a year ago. Well, you know, they needed to be replaced. They're flat. When a guest comes in, they want a nice fluffy pillow. They want um, nice fluffy towels. So things that just over time have wear and tear on them, they just have to be replaced. And quarterly, quarterly is, is, a, is a good time to, to replace them. Yeah. Chad, what are you finding? How often are you replacing linens and pillows? And what would you think would be a standard? Because every market's different. Uh, sure. That, that's another one that uh, I had to learn the hard way. Because uh, when we were first outfitting, you know, I'd say our first five or 10 properties, uh, you know, we were just buying stuff off of Amazon. Uh, kind of, you know, the, the middle of the road, whatever we could get that, you know, cost like 20 bucks a set. Um, and once again, found that, yeah, just <laughs> vacation uh, goers, you know, they fall asleep with makeup on or, you know, they take a nap with the sunscreen on. Uh, it, it pretty quickly that all adds up because on the on the medium priced kind of middle of the road sheets, those are really hard to get out. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've upgraded to uh, kind of commercial grade stuff uh, from standard linens, uh, which is with launder is so much easier uh, and it's lasting us a lot longer um, on that. So like now instead of yeah, having to completely replace all the linens, you know, in every three to six months. Uh, now we're kind of getting like a, a year, year and a half, uh, you know, some of the lower volume properties getting like two years out of them. Uh, and, and it's financially much better off in, in the long run. So we're, we're it's one of the things where as we're going, we're, we're building that business case for the owners to spend that little bit more up front that, hey, yeah, you, you might 
spend an extra 200 bucks on linens in year one, but you won't be spending that $200 in year two, in year three, in year four. So you can kind of really price that out over the, over the duration. Right. Right. And they have to remember these are guests that are going to want the same things that we all want when we go to visit somewhere, you know, and even if I, so I'm a definitely a vacation rental traveler. I book tons of vacation rentals. I love to travel with my dog. She goes everywhere with me basically that she can, but I still want quality. And I don't want to sacrifice that because I'm in a vacation rental. So I think sometimes owners just have to be reminded of that. And and again, sometimes it's just a newbie that's, this is, they've just gotten into this space. This is the best they can afford. And they've priced it based on that. And that's how we all grew too. So if you're in this space and you're new and you don't have money to go spend it, you know, more than you already are, we get it. And, and just when you can make it a priority, would I think be what all three of us are saying so can you break down one of your units on cost of purchase and rental return? It doesn't have to be exact numbers, but because obviously you're probably not sitting in front of exact numbers yeah. right now, but a close idea. So someone can understand what to anticipate or expect if they were looking at vacation rentals in your part of the world. Uh, sure. Um, I'm trying to think of kind of my most recent uh, non-extreme purchase here. Uh, purchase price was was around $250. Um, we put financing on it, so we had to come in, you know, twenty percent down. Uh, you know, it's a regular regular mortgage, nothing crazy. Uh, but we did have to buy uh, or use a mortgage that was specifically for an investment property, uh, so we didn't get quite as good of a rate uh, as you would on a regular single family purchase. Uh, on the outfitting, let's see, we spent I probably spent about I'd say probably roughly thirty thousand uh, by the time it was all said and done. Um, we, we have a fairly standard uh, kind of bed package that we use, kind of a fairly standard kitchen uh, setup that we use. Um, and so we're, we're very familiar with those. And it also gives us kind of operational ease to you know, move things around from different units. You know, like if we have, ex- we need extra towels on one unit example that we don't have to go find the specific brand to kind of match it because it, it's the same for all of them. Um, but yeah, kind of, I'd say, yeah, kind of all, all in once we got everything done, you know, from the purchase, the, the renovations, uh, kind of outfitting the property, uh, all in all in, we're probably out of pocket about, about 90 to a hundred thousand, um, which is a lot that's for sure. Uh, but at the same, let me, yeah, let me say there. So that that's with your down payment though, right? Yeah. That's including the down payment. Yeah. Like if you're just looking at outfitting the, the, the house and doing some, some light renovations, uh, that that was probably 50 grand total. Um, maybe that, that might even be a little bit high. Um, yeah. but at the same time, we're turning around and, you know, we're getting six, $7,000 a month on it. It's like, okay. That's a, it's a real good investment. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those that don't know why Chad said he had to put 20% down, if you're new to investing and it's your first home or your second home, or there's all kinds of rules involved, you might be able to get a lower down payment, speak to your lender about the rules involved. But once you get to a certain level, you have to do investor loans only. And at some point, you um, might only be able to get commercial loans. And those are going to require 20 to upwards of 30% down payments, depending on what type of loan it is. So be prepared. And those of you that are already here, you know it. We feel it every time we buy a house. It's 20%. There's no other option. Uh, 20% or more. So that's why there's a higher down payment. For some people, they're able to do it. At, with a lower down payment in the beginning, but that will change. So when running numbers, you might want to plan further out for 20% down. And then like he said, he did some light renovation. That's very typical of, of a vacation rental. 
whether it's repainting, sprucing up a bathroom, a kitchen, um, fixing the flooring, whatever. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. Kitchens, bathrooms, and floors. Yeah. Those are the main ones because that's what makes it look really nice. And then a fresh coat of paint and you put your cute furniture in there and get it good to go. So it photographs very well. And so that when the guests get there, it matches the photographs. So, okay. And then you said you're, um, gross, you're I'm assuming grossing six to 7,000 a month. Uh, on, that, on that property, yeah, yeah, we're, that that one it's, it's doing real well. We're, we're we're very very happy with it. Um, as a disclaimer for everyone, they're not all like that. <laughs> we, we don't always get that, that high of a return. That's true. Those are great numbers. Yeah. Those are great numbers. Are you doing anything special with it? Do you have any extras like fire pits or hot tubs or pools or anything unique to that property? Uh, that particular property, no. Uh, well, the only kind of. Uh, Unique thing with that is there's a, actually a second uh, house on the property. It was like a main house and a, a pool house. Uh, and so we, we could rent the, the two of them together uh, or we just rent the main house by itself. Uh, and so that kind of flexibility has been able to uh, allow us to book much larger uh, groups than we would have otherwise. And that's, that's really what's driving the, the, the high rate of return there. Yeah, we're seeing that on our properties that have the two houses as well. It's nice because you can book either one. So you're almost always going to have occupancy. And then you can book the bigger groups and they can book both of them. And we have, we have one that we laugh about because it just, the numbers are just fantastic. And if you looked at either unit by itself, it it is a little surprising. But But yeah, when you combine them, it's it's something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is. So that's fantastic. And then are you advertising on just the two majors? Um, Those being for those that don't know, Airbnb and VRBO, or are you using all the various sites like booking.com, TripAdvisor, Expedia, or What's what's your primary advertising mechanisms? Yeah, our, our primary advertising is, is, it is Airbnb and VRBO. Uh, we've been uh, very steadily collecting email addresses from all the guests that come in. Uh, so we're just kind of starting to get into the the stage where we have enough uh, prior bookings to really start driving uh, any kind of direct uh, booking business. There, uh, we've 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 tried Booking.com in the past. Um, I know as you ask people, you get the very mixed results uh, on that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say that uh, locally we had a, a, a an organized uh, group of fraudsters that uh, kind of took advantage of Booking.com here. So they all kind of left a bad taste in our mouth for a while. Uh, but we've also used um, Rentals United in the past and connected to, I want to say about a dozen different booking channels. Um, and none of them really panned out too much. We would get maybe one or two bookings a year from all these disparate uh, OTAs. So I wouldn't say, you know, completely write them off, but you just have to do the math and see, okay, is this going to be worth uh, the extra expense and the extra time uh, to kind of set all those up and go through them? And are you going to see the return on your time? So, yeah, we've, we've run into that too. We, the majors are ours. And so we're for, I think for most newer companies, um, we're, the old model was a lot of direct bookings, a lot of going directly to your website, but we're like you and that Verbo um, and we Verbo and Airbnb, those are the two majors that we use. We also, we do use booking.com now. We didn't for a long time. We did have a fraud incident consistently on a property with that. And so we'd written them off. And then we got a really good account rep and that's been a game changer for us. So we are using them. And then we do use TripAdvisor. User friendliness is on the lower scale there. The messages don't transfer to our software very well. And um, the rates don't adjust with our dynamic pricing strategies. So we actually, instead of fooling with it. We don't have time to go in all the time and change rates. So instead of fooling with it, we just set the highest rate for all year. And if people happen to book it, great. And if not, so be it. But that's the only way we can manage it because we don't want to lose, you know, a great week of summer 
for a low rate if we only put the base rate in there. Yeah, that, that makes um, total sense. So yeah. yeah, and I, I think that the modern era, I know that we go to, then as you said, we met at Miami in a conference and I know we keep hearing direct booking, direct bookings, which certainly we are all striving to get more direct bookings because you do want your guests. You, it's nice to have the same guests. That means they had a great experience with you. They know what to expect when they come. You already have a repertoire. It's, it's wonderful for everyone. The guest they are, they don't have any worries. They know you're going to take care of them. So it's fantastic. But you've also, for anyone just getting into this space, I don't know anyone that can fight the advertising dollars of Verbo and Airbnb. I mean, they've got Super Bowl ads for goodness sake. Oh yeah, you're, you're so, not going to win that fight. That that's for sure. Um, the, flu- the the way we're approaching it is, hey, we're happy to pay the fees to to Verbo and Airbnb to get that guest in the first time. We just look at that as if it were any other lead source. Uh, and so we're saying, okay, after that, to get that person back the second time, I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from booking on VRBO and Airbnb again. I want them to come directly to me. And yep. For, for people that are just starting out, that's also comes with its own set of risk. Um, you know, you, you, because then you're dealing with the guest directly. You don't have that intermediary to kind of handle any payment issues. Um, and you're going to be surprised at how much time it takes to actually go through and negotiate back and forth and work things out with direct booking guests. Uh, because, yeah, they're coming back. They know you. But they're going to want a, a lot more options. They're going to want to go back and forth. Like, oh, hey, how about we flex this date? Oh, can you give me a price on this? Oh, can you update that? Yeah, like... It's a it's a lot more communication on the front end, but if your your pricing is high enough, you know that the, the difference in what you're able to make direct versus on one of the OTAs can be significant. Um, for like our lake houses, we can save you know it, it's it's well over a thousand dollars per booking by going direct versus through an OTA. Right, right. The other the other downside to direct booking is you it's the reviews aren't as beneficial because you're not getting as many people going to our individual, all of our individual sites to see, okay, we've got good reviews on this or not versus when you're on the, the big players, there's reviews and, and good or bad. <laughs> because, that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think historically, you know, just like a restaurant, I, I'm always cautious when I look at reviews because who usually gives reviews and that's going to be the angry person, right? So you're going to have nine people that have a wonderful time and one person who, the dryer broke when they were there. And the only reason they rented the house was because it had a washing machine and dryer or whatever the case may be. So I, I try to, as a consumer, use that with a grain of salt, but as a business owner, the reviews are actually what can drive you more business. So it's that fine line of, yeah, we're doing the same thing. We're collecting our email, our email list and our guest list. And we've got all kinds of benefits for them if they book with us directly. But I also don't want to, a lot of people talk about, you know, counting out the big players. I don't, really want to i think it's a great driving factor for all of us oh yeah and uh it, it's not really until you start getting into have a bookkeeping end uh so kind of where you start to really value what airbnb and vrbr are bringing to the table yeah yeah so okay awesome well we are running out on of time but i appreciate all your insight and before we finish i have just a few um questions that i ask all of our guests all right the hot, so, seat. The hot seat this is it this is it so if you could tell your younger self one thing to make your life better today, what would it be? Marry that girl sooner. Oh, <laughs> I like that one. That's cute. <laughs> well, make sure your wife listens so that she hears this. <laughs> okay. Second question is if you could interview or sit down and speak with someone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Alive or dead? Oh, man. Um, 
Probably Mark Twain. Uh, he always just seemed to have a, a fantastic insight into the human nature and was one of the wittiest people of all time. So that's a hard combination to beat. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Good answer. And then if you could vacation anywhere, whether you've already been there or not, where would you choose to go? Uh, probably go to the Maldives. I haven't been there, but uh, it's, it's on my bucket list. Awesome. Cool. And then that's the next question. You led right into it. What is one thing not travel on your bucket list that you have to accomplish or you'll be so upset? Oh, man. These are great questions um, that I haven't accomplished yet. That's a really hard one because I, I do a lot. Um, so I love that you said that. And I'll tell you why once you answer it. Oh, okay. Uh, one thing I haven't, I haven't done yet. You know, I'm actually coming up. This sounds trite, but uh, I don't know if I have one. Like I have things on a bucket okay, list, no, but, but I'm not going to be like a despondent if I don't <laughs> cross them off. No, no, no I, love, no. I love the answer. And here's why. I can't answer the question really either. And so, and the last guest we had on had a really hard time answering that question, as did the guest before that. And so I love this answer because no matter what happens in vacation rentals, there are, it's certainly, it is a very labor intensive field to be in. No, no question. It, there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of time involved, but almost all of us keep answering the bucket list question with, mm, I've kind of done a lot of my bucket list, which means in my opinion, it's a really excellent field to be in because you get to see the world. You get to travel a lot. We all have travel places, right? Cause the world's just too big to not to go everywhere. Right. But in this space, we've all managed to create a world where we can knock items off of our bucket list, both with finances and with time. So I think that's a really good thing that you couldn't answer that question. So, all right. Well, with that, we will sign off. And Chad, where can everyone find you if they want to come visit South Carolina or North Carolina? What is your website? Uh, sure. Uh, we operate uh, two different companies. Uh, the easiest one is lakeline.com. That's L-A-K-E-L-Y-N-E. Uh, and that uh, focuses on our the lake houses that we uh, manage up on Lake Wiley and Lake Norman, uh, just outside of Charlotte. Or if you're in the Greenville area, you can check us out at upstatecohost.com. Awesome. And guys, we'll have that in our show notes and we'll have links and everything to his social pages as well as his websites. So until then, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you. So what did we learn from that, guys? Well, a few takeaways for that I definitely took were if you're a property manager or if you own your own vacation rentals, if you want to call them Airbnbs, whatever it is, if you want to get good reviews, you have to give a good product. So even if you're not in the luxury space, your items in your home, your furniture still need to be reasonably good things that if you were paying to vacation somewhere, you would want to have. Make sure to keep your places fresh and clean. Make sure to update things as they get worn and torn. Make sure to provide little extras so that your guests have a five-star experience. I'm going to tell you right now, Kim and I are actually in Montana closing on another vacation rental, and we've been taking notes since the minute we got here of the things that we like in this property that we're renting that we want to add to ours. For example, they've got noisemakers next to the bed for people that like to have fans throughout the night. Uh, there's trains that pass by here. So this blocks out the trains. What a great takeaway to put into our rentals for when there's traffic or motorcycles in Daytona or whatnot. So again, always be learning, always be opening to changing and updating your rentals so that you too can always have a five-star experience. As long as you do that, as long as you work hard and give those great experiences, you're going to be successful in vacation rentals because remember, you got this. 